Welcome to Fellowship Asheville. No matter who you are or where you are, we really are a church for you. My name is Fred Baker. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. I want to start off reading to you some words from Jesus, uh, words that he spoke to those who are following him, and, and they're found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus said this, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now Jesus starts, this, this few verses are an invitation to those who are following him to find rest. And then it quickly turns into this declaration of what that rest feels like. And, and he says that life would feel less burdened. He even says life will feel easy. Now, to the context of those word, of Jesus' words, like to describe what's going on around them, he's speaking to a group of people that have been under this religious system that's based on rules. Right? And, and those rules have been taken by people uh, who, who, who wanted to use power and control over people. And so what, what happens is that power and control became the driving force for this religion. And it was never intended to do that. And so to many of those people that Jesus was speaking to, their religious experience, their life was bogged down by these rules. Their daily life felt heavy. Right To them, Jesus is offering rest. He was offering a different way to exist in life. And so imagine what it would be like if you were a follower of Jesus during that time and, and you knew the weight and you knew the pressure of living under these rules and Jesus was looking at you and he said, listen, there's a better way to live life. Follow me and life will be lighter. Life will feel less burdensome what would it be like if you were in their shoes to imagine a life that felt light let's move this to our own time right let me ask you this question what feels heavy in your life today what feels heavy in your life right now what burdens do you find yourself carrying these days where do you feel weight pushing you down? Is it, is it stress at work? Do you have these, these deadlines that are, that are piling up on you and you feel the weight of that? Is it stress at home, maybe in relationships where, where they're just harder to navigate these days? Or maybe there's even a loss of income at home and so you're feeling the weight and the burden of that? Kids and, and students, is it more stressful to navigate this, this, this in-person and virtual life that you're, that you're living in now? Do you, do, you, do you miss seeing your friends the way that you used to see them? And, and maybe that's hard for you. Y'all, Jesus' words are just as true now as they were then. And today, it is possible to have less heaviness in your life. Yes, this means uh, less worry, right? It means less getting mad, less anger. It means, it means less frustration. It means less stress. 
And see, anybody interested in that today? Anybody interested in living life in a lighter way? Well, if so, join me in Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Now, this is our last Sunday in our pause series where we've looked at the book of Ruth and we've talked about what happens in our life when we hit pause for for different reasons. And today, as we work our way through this passage, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see all the answers to all the problems this book has presented. And we're going to see the evidence of God working those answers out as we go through this. And we're going to see God working in and through every person that we've been following. But these last few verses that we're going to see today, I think also give us this key to what it means to find rest in our life today. And so let's look and see how this book of Ruth ends. Chapter 4, verse 13 says this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, last Sunday, when we were talking uh, through Ruth, um, where we left off last week, Boaz had just promised to marry Ruth. Right? Well, here we see our brother moves really fast, right? Like, like in just a few verses, uh, he has married her, uh, and they have a baby, right? Now, I don't want to say anything about the order of that. Just pay attention to the order of that. Marriage, then baby. That's the way that works, right? But, but here we're going to see what this baby represents, because this isn't just any baby. This baby that they have uh, this baby is Ruth's heir, which means this baby is one of, the, one of the, the answers to one of the problems we've seen. Because now Ruth and Naomi have someone that can carry on the family name. And that as they grow up can, can care for the land that's the, that's the family land. And remember, back then that was a really big deal. It was a huge stressor for them. And God did that. And here we see the first evidence of God's working. And it's this, that God's work provided for Ruth. Well, let's keep going and see, and see what else God's work did. Because look at the reaction to this baby being born. In verse 14, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. All right, and so here we see something happening. Now remember, at the beginning of the book, we see Naomi and her husband and, and their sons head off to Moab to live there. And, and, and while they're in Moab, her sons get married, but, but her husband dies and then her sons die. And so she's left with the, the, the now widows of, of both of her sons. And, and, and the Ruth came back with Naomi. Orpah was the name of the other, uh, her other daughter-in-law, and she stayed there. Now, when Naomi and Ruth got back to Israel, if you remember, uh, we talked about this. Naomi's name means pleasant, right? And, and when she came back, people were like, hey, Naomi, great to see you. Hey, pleasant, great to see you, right? Because that's what her name means. Do you remember Naomi's response to that greeting? Do you remember what Naomi said when people said, Naomi, nice to see you. Do you remember what she said? She said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She said, call me what? Do you remember? She said, call me Mara. 
call me bitter. Bitter means angry, right? Now imagine if you did that today, anybody, anybody know someone named Joy, right? I know a couple of Joys in my life. Imagine seeing somebody named Joy coming down the street, and you're like, hey, Joy, how are you doing? And she's like, don't call me Joy, call me angry. You'd be like, whoa, all right, Joy, how, how you doing? Like, everything okay, right? Like, like, that's what they did. And when they asked how she's doing, Naomi told them, and she said, she said that, that, that God had not been good to her. Right, that God had dealt harshly with her is what Naomi says. But here, here we see that God is working, right? Where Naomi, when she came back to town, wanted people to see through her words just how harshly God had dealt with her. Here we see how good he is, where once Naomi told them, that God hadn't been good, now everyone sees how good God is to Naomi. Where she said she has no one when she came back to Israel, now the people are watching and saying, you've got someone. You see, God's, this is the second way God's worked. God has worked in encouraging those who are watching. Right? You see, God worked in changing that discouragement to encouragement. Right? That anger into encouragement. And for those watching Ruth and Naomi, well, let's see what else God did in verse 16. Verse 16 says this, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and began uh, and, and became his nurse. Now, here's what's really interesting. So no, Naomi came back to her homeland completely empty. Right? She had no husband. She had no heir. And in, in, in that time, it meant that her and Ruth really had no future at all. But now she's taking this little baby and she's placing them, she's placing that little baby in her lap and she's becoming his nurse, which means she's becoming his nanny of sorts. Yes, she is his grandmother, but what this means is that she's taking on the responsibility of teaching him, of, of, of raising him. She's taking on the responsibility to make sure he knows what it means to be a good Jewish boy who, who, to become a good Jewish man. And in this one child, she was once empty, and now she's full. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Now, Obed is a version of the Hebrew word meaning servant, right? It's meaning to serve. And so, so this baby serves his family in a really unique way. This baby serves the family by being an heir and bringing this fullness back to Naomi. You see, he's the one that God has used to change her from bitter back to pleasant. He's the one that this little child is what God has used to change Naomi from bitter to bring her back to better. And so here we see this, this other evidence of God's work, that God's worked uh, to restore Naomi. God's work restored Naomi. And for Naomi, God's work changed her from bitter to better. Think about it that way. Now here at Fellowship, one of the things that we say is it's, a, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Naomi entered this story uh, bitter when she came back to Israel. But now she is full. 
Now she is pleasant again because God did that. Well, let's look to see who this baby becomes because, because we've seen God's work be, be uh, restorative. We've seen it be encouraging. We've seen it providing. But now we're going to see something completely unexpected because look at who this baby becomes. Look at what happens. Um, and the rest of verse 17, it says, He, meaning Obed, was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So this little baby, Obed, grows up to have a son. That son's name is Jesse. That, that baby grows up to have a son, and that son's name is David. And David, as we know, grows up to become the king of Israel. And not just a king of Israel, he becomes one of the favorite kings of Israel, known for his devotion to the Lord and his skillful leadership. And, and so even this work that God had done, that God has done, this work blesses the entire nation of Israel. All through Ruth and Naomi. This work blesses the entire nation of Israel. Well, then there's this. Because the author of this book wanted to dive a little bit deeper into this ancestry of David and Obed, right? And now we're getting to the part where, where this becomes key to finding our rest. Because look at this in verse 18 through 22. It says this. It says, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Now, typically, when you see a genealogy, right, it's real easy to skip over it. This genealogy is, is short, so that's nice. We can work our way through it. But it also has these really interesting people in this genealogy. Because here's why this is important. David, the king of Israel, being born of Obed, would have been a little bit scandalous at the time. Because remember, Ruth, right, Ruth wasn't from the nation of Israel. She was from Moab, Moab which at the time was considered an enemy of Israel. And so, so Obed, Obed's mom was this, would have been considered an enemy of the nation. And so David, this great king, had a great-grandmother who, let's just say, let's just say this, that, that, that she wasn't of proper royal blood, right? Well, our writer wants us to know that Ruth isn't the only person in the line of David who isn't of proper royal blood. Because here's what we're going to see. And this is, this, is, this is the evidence of God's work, not only in the lives of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, but it is the evidence of God's work in every single person hearing this message today. And it is this. It is that God's, God works in us and through us and for us. That God works in, through, and for all kinds of people. And let me tell you why. Perez, where this, where this family line starts, this genealogy starts, let me tell you a little bit about Perez, right? If you want to dive deep into the story, it's in Genesis 38. But let me tell you uh, what, what his story is. God used, let's just say, an impatient woman, a woman, and her untruthful father-in-law to be the parents of Perez. That's not exactly what you hope to see 
in a royal ancestry line. Solomon, if you see his name, guess who his wife is? He is married to Rahab. Now, does that name Rahab sound familiar to you? If you're familiar with your Old Testament at all, Rahab, she's the one who is known to be a prostitute. However, she's much more known for her faith in God. When the two Israelite spies were sent into the land of Jericho to, to find out what the land was like, because Israel hadn't even moved into the promised land yet, and they sent these spies to go there and check it out, she was the one that gave these spies safety. She was the one that gave them a place to stay. And in doing so, she also proclaimed her faith in the God of Israel. Now, as you know, those spies went back, and, and as Israel moved into the promised land, Jericho was this huge fortified city to them that, that an army couldn't defeat, but God could. And if you remember, they, they circled around the city and they prayed, and, and, and then the walls came tumbling down. Well, Rahab lived in that wall, and so the entire wall didn't come down because her house was protected. And the reason her house was protected is because she had faith in God. And it was her faith that saved her. And I can just imagine that this was, you know, because keep in mind, this is, this is Boaz's mom, Rahab is. So Rahab is Boaz's mom. And I can just imagine Rahab telling Boaz stories, right? Telling stories of meeting those spies that Joshua sent. Maybe she would tell stories of feeling the walls shake and hearing the, the stones fall around her, but, but her being kept safe and secure with her faith in God. Maybe she'd even tell stories of her past before she met Salmon, before, before her faith in God, where, where her past was one that didn't quite measure up. And yet God brought her in by faith. And then there's the story of David. Right? David, David's childhood was a really interesting one because Samuel was this prophet of God. And, and, and God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse because the future king of Israel was there. And it was Samuel's job to anoint one of Jesse's children, one of Jesse's sons, as the future king of Israel. And so Samuel shows up to, to their house and he tells Jesse, hey, bring out all your sons and the Lord's going to tell me which one to anoint king. So Jesse lines all of his sons up. Guess who's not there? David. Why is David not there? I don't know. There's speculation as to why he's not there. But what we know is that Jesse didn't consider David king-type material. All Jesse thought was, I had this kid, and he loves writing worship music out in the field, taking care of the sheep. He's not the one you want king. You want one of these tall, strapping young men to be king. And Samuel looked at all of them and said, no, this, none of these are the ones that, Lord, that God wants. Do you have another son? And yeah, David. And so David was anointed king. You see, the author wants us to know that this line of David this, this incredibly great leader, not perfect by any means, by any means. But this leader whose heart was devoted to God and this skillful, skillful leader, that this line of David, that this line of David that eventually leads to Jesus was full of outcasts, right? People who don't measure up. 
people who aren't good enough, people with scandalous pasts, and yet God works in, through, and for all of them. In this last bit, here's what we see, that God's work includes all kinds of people. That God's work includes all kinds of people. Now listen, if you think God can't use you, you are just the person that he loves to work in and through and for. As a matter of fact, my experience with people has taught me that, that those people who think that God can't use them are often the ones that he uses the most. And so, as a matter of fact, if you think about the big names in the Bible, they all had issues, right, that should have kept them out from, from, God, being, from God using them, but, but it didn't. Like, you think about Moses. Moses has uh, had a stutter, right? He wasn't an eloquent speaker, yet God worked in and through and for Moses to speak power over powerful nations. Think about Abraham. Abraham was too old to have kids, and yet God worked in and through and for Abraham and his wife Sarah to birth an entire nation. And think about this little scaredy cat of a man who is one of my favorites in the scriptures, and his name is Gideon. And Gideon, Gideon would much rather, uh, instead of being out in public, doing what he needs to do, he would much rather work in, in private because he's afraid. He's afraid what's going to happen if he steps out in public. And to him, God works in and through and for him by calling him a mighty warrior. And God uses this man who started off scared, but yet had a heart for God to lead an army against these mighty nations that were standing opposed to God. And how about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Right, in many ways, she certainly didn't measure up because she was an unwed, pregnant teenager who God was already working in and through and for to bring into the world the promised Savior. And so to you, God works in and through and for you in all of your scandalous past, in all of your not fitting the mold, not measuring up, not belonging, not being good enough, not feeling, or, or, and, and feeling like an outcast. You see, the point of these last few verses is this, is that God is at work in you and through you and for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, God is at work today just like he was at work then, in and through and for Ruth and Naomi. He is at work in and through and for you as well. So let me ask you, church, do you believe this? Do you believe that God is at work in and through and for you? Now maybe you don't believe that you're good enough. God to work in and through and for you. I get it. Listen to me. And this is so critically important. In Jesus, you are. Because here's the deal. 
The deal is, Jesus has sealed the deal for you, right? When you say yes to Jesus, being good enough isn't uh, an issue anymore. And here's why. Because Jesus has been good enough for you. Right? When you say yes to Jesus, it means that you're on his team. And here's the deal. He's already won the game. Right? You've already been declared a victor. Because Jesus has already won. And maybe today is the day that you want to stop trying to be good enough for God to work in and through and for you. If you feel that way, that is exactly the way Jesus, the people that Jesus was talking to felt when he said, come to me and find rest. Because those people were trying to be good enough to earn God's love and God's forgiveness and God's favor. And in Jesus, it's already earned. See, so maybe for you, for God to work in and through and for you, maybe your step in this is to trust Jesus' work for you. Maybe, maybe today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus' offer of salvation and enter into this good and personal relationship with him. And so for you, if, if you want to say yes to Jesus right now, there's a member of our prayer team that would love to pray with you. And there will be a little, a little message that pops up and you just respond to that. And they will be glad to pray with you. And I've got to tell you, I have experienced uh, God's work in and through and for me. Now, if you've been here long enough, you, you, you've heard me tell this story. But when I was in seminary, I was studying to get my degree in counseling. And I remember sitting in the library, loving what I was studying, and, and telling God that there are two things I don't want to do. I don't want to be a church planter, and I don't want to be a preacher. Well, we planted Fellowship Asheville in 2008, and now I'm the preacher here. But see, back then, I remember, I remember believing that I'm not the type person that can lead a church, Right? Because the, the, the leaders that I had seen leading churches were this type A driven leader. That's not me, right? And, and, and by the way, just as a side note, I think that whole type A thing was invented by type A people because there's not a type B, right? There's only one type of leader in that camp. And I knew that I wasn't that type of leader. And I also knew that I'm really not an eloquent speaker. Right? I, I had learned to, to teach, and I had taught third graders, but, but teaching adults is, is very different than teaching third graders, at least I thought so. And then, too, the, the biggest thing that held me up was the fact that I would listen to these preachers apply God's Word. And, man, they were so good at, like, at like taking these, these incredibly complex concepts and saying, hey, here's how you can apply that in your life today. And sometimes they did three easy steps, which I never believed three easy steps anyway. But I would get so enthralled by, by seeing them take and apply these things into everyday life. And I was like, I can't do that. Listen, I just have one bullet, right? And it's to trust Jesus, that he's worth it and he really does like you. And how many times can you say that over and over again? Right? This was, this was all I had, what I didn't know is that Jesus had been working in and through and for me all of that time. And he was preparing me for something that, that now I love. On most days, I love, right? 
and he's working in and through my style of leadership. I'm not a type A leader. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a team leader. I'm an intuitive leader. And, and God works through that. Turns out, teaching third graders is very similar to teaching adults. I hope you're not offended by that, but it's true. Right? The skills that I learned in elementary school, teaching elementary school students, are a lot of the same skills that I use in teaching a congregation. And he works in and through that one bullet of showing you just how much Jesus loves you, just how much he likes you, that he really is worthy and faithful with your trust. You see, church, if God can work in and through and for me, I guarantee you he can work in and through and for you as well. And so here's the question which I think this book of Ruth begs us to ask. It's who will you be like as God is working in and through and for you? Because, because here's what we've seen. Each person in this book has centered around one kind of main character quality as God is working in and through and for them. With Ruth, you see trusting, right? Because, because she trusted Naomi and came back to Israel. She trusted Boaz to provide for her and to, and to ultimately to marry her. And then through all that, you see that she's trusted the Lord. And so when you see Ruth, as God is working in and through and for her, you see that she is trusting. Boaz is faithful, right? Anytime you see Boaz, you see that he, he faithfully wants to provide through generosity. You see that he faithfully wants to follow and obey God's word. When you see Boaz, you see faithful. When you see Naomi, at least in the beginning of this book, you see bitter, right? As God is working in and through and for her, she responds with bitterness. She responds with anger. She blamed God and she struggled to trust him as God was working in and through and for her. And then Orpah, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, she turned around. When things got hard, she left. And in her, you see faith less, right? She doesn't have faith. She, she, stayed, she went back home. And so looking at these words, we can see some of the responses. Maybe some of those are familiar to us as God is working in and through and for us. And sometimes, oftentimes, God's work in and through and for you isn't on your schedule, is it? And you have to wait. And it's during that waiting time that this response of yours is so critical. It's during this waiting time that we saw Boaz's faithfulness show up. It's during this waiting time that we saw Ruth and her, and her, her trust show up. And it's also in this waiting time that we saw Naomi's bitterness come forward. And we saw Orpah's faithlessness come forward. And so oftentimes we wait. We wait for God to work in and through and for us. And that waiting, that waiting can feel heavy. Right? That, that waiting can cause stress and worry and anger and frustration. Even despair, which is, is, is prolonged and deep sadness. Now maybe, maybe this is where you can find rest today. Because you see, oftentimes here at Fellowship, we also say this, that waiting time isn't wasted time. That when God has you in a position where you wait, it's not, waste, and it's not wasted time. But when we look at these character qualities, 
especially the last two of, of, of bitterness and, and faithlessness, here's what we see. We see that waiting time isn't wasted time, but man, you can sure waste your waiting time. Right? Our waiting time isn't wasted time, but, but we can certainly waste that waiting time. We can waste our, our waiting time, our waiting for God to work in and through and for us in bitterness and, and faithful, faithlessness and worry and anger and stress too. Listen, I wasted some of my time on this, on this self-focused insecurity because I believed that God didn't know what he was doing when he made me a leader. That was at the heart of it. And I had to some, have someone affirm in me that God is working in and through and for me. And so if you need that today, let me be the one to tell you, yes, God is working in you and through you and for you. Because when we waste our, our, our waiting time, life just feels heavy. But there is a better way. Remember when I read Jesus' words to you, and it started out with this invitation, where Jesus says, come to me. You see, in him, you and I find our rest. In him, we find the very best pause. Because in Jesus, we pause to actually rest in the work of God. We pause to rest in the work of God. So my question for you is this, what will it look like for you? How will you rest in the work of God? Because here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to think about that. Right? Think about the people that we listed before. Think about Ruth, trusting. Think about Boaz, faithful. What is your word? What word do you want to cling to that when you feel this impatience with God welling up, when you feel like all the wheels are spinning but you're not going anywhere, when you start questioning, is God working in and through and for you, what do you want your question, I mean, what do you want your word to be to describe how you want to be during that time? Trusting, like Ruth. Faithful, like Boaz. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a piece of paper. I want you to create a, a note in your phone or even text yourself or send yourself an email so you have that word. And I want you to write down the one character quality, the one word that you want to, to embody and to describe how you rest in the work of God how you wait as God is working in and through and for you. So I'd like you, I'm just going to give you a minute to think through that word and to write it down. And then I'm going to pray for us. So yeah, I'm serious. I want you to think about it and I want you to write it down. Go ahead. Jesus, I pray that you speak. I pray that you speak to every person who's, who's listening right now, that, that you would give them the word that embodies this time of, of, of resting in your work. And I pray that that word uh, gives them freedom and, and helps them enjoy the, the lightness of walking with you, the, 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 
the easiness of walking with you. Even when life is hard and difficult, you are easy. And you don't put these burdens on us. Father, you carry them with us. So, Father, how, how do you want each of us to live and to express that as we wait? As we wait on you to work in and through and for us. God, we love you, and we love that you care enough to speak to us, to speak to us through your word, to speak to us through your voice. Thank you for being a God that cares. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, if you want to know my word, join me on Facebook Live, and I'd love to share it with you and share what it means. This will be the last Facebook Live until the new year, so, so everybody, please just jump right on over and join us. I'll see you next week if you're joining us virtually at 11. Until then, I love you and I love being in the church with you. See you then.